All right. Well, hello there. Welcome to the Deadly Analysis podcast. Uh, tonight's the night you've all been waiting for. A bunch of white people are going to talk about Get Out. Bet you didn't see that one coming. Uh, so in case you're new to this podcast, uh, what we do here is we analyze good horror films uh, every other week. Every other week? Every other week. About every other week. Uh, we talk about the philosophy of fear, the psychology of horror, and our individual and collective anxieties that produce, well, monsters as it were. And today we're going to be tackling a, what I think is a beast of a film. And this film was my selection, uh, and that's Get Out. So um, I want to start by saying we've had a couple people uh, on our social media ask, you know, why we've waited so long to do Get Out, because it's um, came out in 2017. It's sort of the film, you know, you would suspect would be a candidate for a discussion in a podcast like this. And uh, I, I'll, I'll start by being completely frank about my hesitation to do this particular podcast. Um, originally, I did a uh, like a five minute movie review of Get Out. It's actually still on our YouTube channel, just a quick sort of review. And I made it when our channel was fairly young. So it sort of flew under the radar, only has a couple hundred views on it. But um, in doing that, one of the comments that we received was a deeply racist comment. And it really, really bugged me. And the person left a comment that said, the scariest thing about Get Out is the concept of your white daughter dating a Negro. It was one of the first comments I got on that on that video. And that's verbatim, by the way. And since that video, I've like noticed uh, something of a propensity for anom uh, anonymous comment uh, commenters on YouTube on this medium uh, to engage in fairly racist and sexist behavior, like at the slightest drop of a conversation on race or gender or politics. And I, it just left me a little jaded. I mean, I get it. I know it's the internet. I know it's YouTube. I know I know very well everything that comes with it. Um, and I know that the comments that we receive are you know, nowhere near some of the other <laughs> terrible things and comments that happen on other channels. I, I get it, but it just made me feel like for a long while, like an exploration into a very tense and cerebral horror film that has strong undertones of racial tension would be like at the very least unappreciated at the very worst subject to more racist bullshit. And that sort of hasn't left me in the last couple of years. Um, but fuck it, we ain't staying in the sunken place any longer. Um, so Get Out. Get Out is a 2017 American satirical horror film written and directed by Jordan Peele. And the story follows Chris, a young black man who uncovers a fairly disturbing secret uh, when he meets the family of his white girlfriend, Rose Armitage. And that secret uh, is that Rose's family has developed, say a technique of sorts, to suppress a person's agency. Their, their consciousness is placed in the background, as it were, uh, with the inevitable aim being to supplant that consciousness with that of another person. And in the film, the Armitages do this uh, to black people. They essentially hunt down black people with the help of their daughter and once captured, auction off their bodies to wealthy white people to transfer their consciousness into. I'm getting scared and wigged out just saying that, like just reading that is terrifying to me. It's like a racist version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You know what I mean? So I mentioned at the end of our last podcast uh, this, so uh, the co-hosts know what I'm about to say, but for people who, who didn't make it to the end of our last, like well, our last podcast, like three hours, it was like over three hours. So I doubt many of you made it to the end. Um, but if you did, I told the story of how when I first saw Get Out, I I, uh, I 
saw it uh, at a movie theater a place called Alamo Draft House in Dallas, where it's one of those movie theaters where like waiters serve you food and alcohol where you watch the movie. It's like a super badass theater. So I walked into this movie and I noticed when I, I came in that every single person who was sitting down in the theater was white, which is like, whatever. It doesn't mean anything. It, it, it was just weird, right? You're going to get out and every single 100% of the people in that theater who went to see it on the day I went were white. And I was just like, ah, it's interesting, right? Um, and then I noticed that all four of the waiters who were bringing us food and alcohol were black. And um, I don't think anyone else noticed. I, I Maybe I'm just hypersensitive to this kind of shit. It was, it was very obvious to me and I felt insanely awkward as I was watching the movie. Um, it didn't stop me from ordering three beers though. So I guess I learned very little from the movie. But anyway, it was just very odd, very strange, uh, made the movie that much more uh, interesting, let's say. So uh, I, I selected this movie and I kind of just want to start by saying, you know, I think that this horror film is one of the best horror films of the last 20 years. I it's It's got that very unique quality of being at moments incredibly frightening and then at other times funny as hell. Um, it's incredibly tense, it's well-written, it's intelligent, and it touches on like a very specific set of fears. Like there's a lot of uh, political stuff going on, racial stuff going on, and, and these are the sorts of things that I think we like to explore on this podcast a bit. So I am here tonight with Ben, and with Ben, <laughs> and with Jim and Shayra, and Garrett should be joining us shortly. So I, I want to start this off, I want to kick this off by asking, you know, really the most important question to come out of this movie, and that is, and I'm asking it specifically to all of you here, would you all have voted for Obama for a third term? I need to know. I need to know. And be careful how you answer that. Be very careful how you answer that. Uh, any, so let's do this. Let's do this. Um, let's change that question and ask, why do you think this film, this film is really successful as a horror film. Um, why do you think this film was so successful? And, you know, what to you do you think is the main political or social commentary happening, happening in this movie? Um, big questions. Like, it's like define God and give three examples. You know, it's basically what I'm asking you to do. Uh, so what, what do you guys think? I'm just going to throw it out there. I'll kind of give my opinion here in a minute. But like, what do you guys think made this movie so damn successful? And what do you think is the main rub of it? I think it's, I, I agree with you that it's a fantastic film. It's, it's actually a film I've kind of evolved on to be, uh, to be honest. Uh, I, when I first walked out of the film, I was like, it was good. I liked it, but I didn't, I didn't register its importance and just how ballsy this film is. Um, it's going after a lot of, uh, a lot of big issues, taking a lot of big swings. And I think connecting in, in each case, um, one of the main, uh, targets of its both satire and its horror are the, uh, the the very audience who most likely would go to see it, which is a a that that indicates to me the film's guts, the film's courage, um, I, and it's going after sort of that wealthy white liberal who believe themselves to be an ally. Um, of African Americans and of racial equality, and yet it's exposing all of the virtue signaling that those uh, those those liberals kind of um, track in, and uh, I you know and and so sitting in the audience and and kind of viewing myself as 
as uh, one of those wealthy, not wealthy, I'm very, very not wealthy, uh, but one of those, one of those sort of white liberals, it, it was a, uh, it was what good satire does. It showed me a mirror and let me know how stupid I look. And um, that's really, it was, it was an uncomfortable experience. And it was also, you know, the type of thing that, that good art should do. Um, and uh, I, I almost would have been completely okay with this film if it had all of the horror elements removed. Like if it was just the, a weekend at mom and dad's house and then didn't even take all the brain transplant stuff. I mean, even if there was a scene at the end where he's like, oh, that was really fucking weird. Your parents don't do like weird white people shit where they, you know, transfer uh, their brains into African-Americans and, and it's, no, we don't do that at all. And, and it's like, but we'll see each other again on Thanksgiving. Uh, like that would be a great setup for a, uh, a, a, you know, a horror movie franchise of journey into the dumb white people. Um, and uh, I, so I, I, I think the film works really well. I love this movie. I didn't really get its importance until I sat down and thought about it uh, for a little while afterwards. And it is, um, it's, it's, it's dealing with both these, these issues about sort of wealthy white, uh, wealthy white liberals and also um, the sort of white fetishization of blackness, which um, a more scattershot film uh, last year, Sorry to Bother You, also did very well as well. So uh, yeah, I, I love this movie. Um, I think that's that sort of answers your question, Noah. Like those are those are its main targets, at least as far as I can see. What about the rest of you? Uh, ben? <laughs> I, I joked because we've got two Bens and neither of them are talking right now. They're both looking at each other like they're both supposed to catch the fly ball. And the fly ball is definitely going to fall in between the two outfielders. Um, for those of you who are just listening and not watching this little drama, it's kind of funny. Um, okay, Shara, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like I should just leave an awkward pause so that <laughs> so that you don't just keep sitting there being uncomfortable. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, it's pretty obvious this is a fantastic film in and of itself. It doesn't need to have all the aspects of it that that do wake you up to who who you are as a person or uh, you know what's going on in our world today. It's it's a genuinely scary story. The idea of uh, somebody's parents, you know, hypnotizing you and, and taking over your body. That's that in and of itself could be a perfectly legit horror film. But adding in those elements to reflect our society is what horror is always supposed to do, right? Like our, our monsters are us. And it, this is one of those films where when white people watch it, we find out, oh, shit, I'm the fucking monster. God damn it. And you're like, oh, I, I really need to adjust a lot of the stuff I say and a lot of the stuff I do. And um, and that's what horror is always supposed to do, right? It's supposed to be a reflection of our society and show how we can be better and how we can improve. So um, I think the fact that it's already it works as a horror movie, but shows a true reflection of the monsters of today is it's just going to resonate with people and they're going to they're going to watch it, even though it is calling out a lot of the people that enjoyed it. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's calling us out yet. We watch it and we go, this is a fantastic film. So 
Well, I think that I think how it calls out, uh, let's say people like us who watch it, uh, it, it was very inclusive. That's what, and I that was the intent of Jordan Peele was to have a film. I, I watched an interview with him where he said, you know, the fine line with him was not like the fear stuff and the humor stuff. That's apparently for him something easy to do. I, I don't know how that's possible, but whatever. The hard part was like you know, making the film feel inclusive to those that it's criticizing such that when you watch it, you don't feel, you know, I, I didn't feel, there wasn't one part of that movie where I felt as a white male offended, uh, you know, like I, like I am a terrible person, but it was also informative. I, I give you a good example. Um, you know, I, I have this tendency at, to say boss, like, thanks a lot. Thanks boss. I appreciate a boss or whatever. And I noticed that I, I, only say that I think to black people, and I never in a million years noticed that. I, I don't know why. I started catching that after this movie, and I just I it's it's something I I noticed about myself because I you know in the movie Armitage Senior he my man right like that bullshit, and I've heard that before quite a bit from other people, um, especially after this movie you catch shit like that. But I noticed even in me I would why would I change my language? for a person who has a different skin color. I, I'm certainly not purposefully meaning to do that. Um, but it made me kind of go like, why, what's happening here, right? So I felt like the film was inclusive enough to be able to say something meaningful to, it, it's a very reflective film and I, I think it's a super reflective film. Um, if you are, as Jim put it, a very wealthy white liberal. Um, and I, I, to that degree, I think the film did a good job in, in, cause we've had some films where, that we've discussed where you feel like you can see the attempt at trying to get the audience to reflect and even some that have done it successfully. Um, but very rarely is that happening when that same particular sliver of audience to some extent is being criticized or asked to think about themselves as a part of a collective group. And this film did that, I think, pretty well. And it was his aim, apparently. So um, I, it, that may be even more rare than the horror humor dichotomy, you know? So anyway, thought I'd throw that in there. But yeah, let's- Well, I yeah. I had a reflection that the thing that was reflective for me was um, I have dated a, quite a few black guys in my time. And one of the things I found is every time I was dating one of these guys, uh, their family was very, um, not hospitable towards me uh, is the nicest way I can put it. I had some really horrible situations pop up and I just kept on thinking, gosh, what a bunch of racist jerks at the time. And now I realize they were not coming from a place of hate. They were not coming from a place of judging me for being white. It came from a place of fear, of concern. And I now understand that because of this film. I understand that there is an underlying fear of underhanded things that have happened to people in the past. Uh, the fact that there has not really been, uh, I mean, there's obviously been changes, but there are a lot of things that have stayed the same and stayed status quo that still need to be worked on. And um, like, I now understand where they were coming from. They were trying to protect, not trying to hurt. And so it, it was definitely a, a punch in the face, but also like, okay, like I need to adjust how my brain thinks. And I think that's, always a powerful thing when a film does that to you um, and helps you change and become better. So now did they criticize you over your love of mayonnaise? That's 
That's what I'm yeah. curious about. Is this where we whip out the mayonnaise and I could just yeah. start eating it in front of everybody yeah. and gross just, them out? It, yeah, go for it. Go for it. I was going to okay. say that's got to be the main criticism that they gave. Yeah. You. So yeah, mm. let's 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 go for some gross out, guys. <laughs> Well, uh, so let, let's uh, let's throw it to uh, to Ben. Uh, I'm just gonna keep that joke going all fucking night. Uh, yeah, we'll never it, get old. Yeah, well, yeah, perfect opportunity as other as other Ben has a beverage to his face, so I know that I will not be violating the sacred Canadian code and accidentally interrupt him. Um. Uh, why? Uh, why? Uh, why was this film as financially successful as it was? Um, I think because there were large, uh, very large and uh, undersought audiences um, that could look at this movie and say, "Thank God, finally." Um, and I feel like there were large uh, audiences that wanted to vote with their dollars, um, uh, wanted to send uh, send a signal to uh, Hollywood in general and production. Uh, uh, cost uh, cost benefit centric production culture in particular um, that please make more of this. Um, uh, I think I, I think that uh, went a long way to driving its success. And it's it's one of the few movies in the last couple of years um, that was a runaway success both uh, theatrically and in uh, post theatrical digital distribution. It did just as well. So it it looks like just going off of the numbers that as many uh, most of the people who went out and saw it in the theater also went and bought their own copy to watch at home, um, uh, which says something to uh, something for its uh, engagement and lasting appeal. Um, the theme, um, uh, three words: white is scary. Um, it's it and it's a thing that most of the world most of the world's population has understood with sufficient gravity and sufficient um, thoroughness uh, that it's reflective of who does and doesn't get a voice in filmmaking, that it's taken us this long to make a movie about white is scary. Um, white people show up, things are going to go bad. Um, the only people who don't feel that way are white people. Um, and if we turn back our clock on our own history, um, we have ample cause to feel like, oh, the kind of white person that I'm not intimately familiar with has shown up. This is going to be very bad. Um, the That Jordan Peele can walk a fine enough line and, and nobody does code switching like Jordan Peele. Um, if, if you if you haven't binge watched the Key and uh, Key and Peel show, binge watch the Key and Peel show. Most of the humor is about cultural meta language. Hey, you know, uh, philosophy of language nerds re rejoice. There is an entire television show just for you. Um, I rejoiced. I was happy. Um, but uh, is. He he has a very very refined skill set uh, in this area, and that he was able to. Um, I think that we have this confrontational moment. Um, that uh, looking in the mirror, I think that's great. Um, I think it's a testament to his skill as the film uh, as a filmmaker. I don't know that that was the point. Um, because if I try to put myself in a 
a position of not feeling like I am being spoken about in this movie. Um, it's a very straightforward story. It's pure, uh, pure horror film uh, storytelling. Um, we have uh, all of the archetypes. We have uh, the uh, we have the structure of build, conceal, and reveal um, uh, that we do in uh, classics like Halloween. Um, and the only thing that makes it feel like, oh, maybe he's trying to put up a mirror is that uh, I'm a white person and that he is doing that gracefully as testament to a uh, testament to his skill. Um, but, uh, you know, Halloween wasn't intending to put a mirror up in front of people with mental illness. Um, white is it's I, I, I really this really feels like a movie where as as tempted as I am to deep dive in into its structure and how it's built. And I'm absolutely down for going deep dive in how this story is told because Jordan Peele is a master. Um, I feel like this story is actually pretty simple and it is white is scary. Yeah. To your point, I, I saw an interview with him and Eli Roth. Eli Roth did a special on like the, the history of horror, I think is what it was called. I saw it around Halloween and um, I think Eli Roth asked him something like to summarize Get Out in like a sense or something. And he, he almost said exactly what you said. He said, and I think it's actually a line in the movie, something to the effect of, you know, if I get around too many white people, I get nervous. Um, <laughs> and uh, that was an interesting summarization. I, you know, think of the opening scene. This always caught me in Get Out. You know, you have how many billions of movies in which a white affluent person goes to the inner city and feels unsafe. And in this movie, you have a black man going to the suburbs and he feels insanely uncomfortable. I mean, that's how the movie starts. And he feels incredibly uncomfortable. He verbally articulates his uncomfortability. And I just like that, just that first scene to me was kind of, I was different. It was, I don't see that. That's not something I think of, you know what I mean? And I just felt like that was a, a just an interesting way to start the movie. And I think it's, I don't know. Yeah, I, there's, it's an interesting way of how we're going to cut this because there's a bunch of white people on this panel and it's very tempting to go, here's what I learned. And we kind of started by doing that. At least I did. And, but then again, that makes it about us. That makes it about what we learned that makes us the, the as as the uh, the white consumers of this film uh, worthy of exploration of what we need to learn, right? But maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it's as simple as this movie was made for a very specific. I can totally buy that. Um, you know, I uh, I loved in this movie that I just it was so brilliant. The opening song, uh, "Run Rabbit." I uh, what do you call? I was I said this in the last podcast. I um, I was raised on that. My grandfather sang that song to me growing up. Run rabbit, run rabbit. I know the whole. I know all the lyrics, um, and it has a very specific history to it um, around World War II. But it also has a lot of racial history to it. Um, and I had not heard that song for I mean honestly maybe fifteen years. And I was like, why do I know this song? I literally was sitting there just wigging out going, oh my God, and I started singing it. I, I, I mean, that was maybe a little too far. I'm sure all the, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have white guy singing Run Rabbit. But I, I was like, I know this. This is my grandfather, my grandfather sang this to me. Anyway, I don't know why I'm throwing that out there. I just, uh, the opening hooked me, hooked me. The first five minutes of this film was such a reversal of what you would see in a normal, a horror film, a drama, where there's a fear 
of the other. You know what I mean? Like uh, a white person going to the inner city. Anyway, I thought that was a great way to start the film. Um, other Ben, what did you think? I'm just gonna call Other Ben. This is I don't know how we're gonna do this. I'm gonna say Other Ben to both of you. Anyway, go for it. All right, I guess I'll go ahead and jump in on that point. Um, yeah, like I, I, I don't know. I think I have to start broad and then kind of go specific um, with sort of like my my opening thought here. Uh, I, um, I do find this uh, quite difficult to as a, as a movie to talk about, honestly. Uh, that's why I'm kind of like hesitating a lot. That's why I'm sort of like pausing and not really interjecting um, as much as I might usually do. Um, I really think that as much as this might not be um, to hold up a mirror to, you know, white people, you know, right? Like I putting ourselves at the center of the, the story here. I, I do think that it's something that can be viewed from multiple perspectives, right? Like, I mean, you know, usually horror in general and like art in general um, is something that is viewed differently by each individual person who views it. But with this particular kind of movie, I do think the lines there aren't drawn necessarily at so much an individual level as they are um, an ethnic group level. And because of that, I know that <laughs> the way that I'm going to view this movie is going to be vastly different than a black person might watch this movie and, and, and view it. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's really hard to kind of like even say anything about what it is because it was made by a person who is black and, um, you know, this, the, like the predominant, I think, perspective in this movie isn't something that I'm going to immediately be able to pick up on. I think that's, that's my, that's my hunch. It's my presumption. In fact, um, just after this movie came out, um, I was still working at, uh, my previous company and we had gone out for actually my, my round of drinks that I was having as I was on my way out <laughs> and a coworker of mine was talking about this movie almost as if it was, it was more like a comedy, right? Like he was saying how funny it was and how much he enjoyed it from that regard and like how, how silly the situation seemed. And obviously it's a very, um, kind of like innocent white guy grew up in the suburbs, et cetera, et cetera. But he was saying this to one of our managers who happened to be black at the time. And I was just looking across the table at her face and just I noticed the the cringe like on the inside, like that she was trying to mask over it. his explanation of this movie as a comedy to her. And I really want to avoid being that guy <laughs> on this podcast. And so I'm going to try and avoid that as much as possible. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, man, like even even if we dig into uh like the horror aspects of this film, let me, let me just like take those in, in, in a more pure uh, view. Um, you know, I, even if even if we did chop off the whole section of the the weird medical procedure and the transplant and everything like that, I feel like this would be a really great example of a, a situation, kind of like a a social horror, kind of like the movies that Jonah tends to like uh, quite often. Because you have this situation where a person is going into the situation, like the fear there seems to me to be very much about like being treated as an other, just, you know, immediately, just like people behaving differently to you just because of who you are and you know it's coming and you know they're going to act that way and you know they're going to act even in specific ways. And the person that's taking you there doesn't see it. They don't believe you. They're trying to coax you into this, but you know it's going to go a certain way and it's going to make you feel uncomfortable and remind you of things that are incredibly unpleasant for you. And they're not even going to notice. And I think that that can be um, incredibly uh, horrifying, you know, to a person who might be forced into a situation like that. So, I mean, like even just like on multiple levels, I think this counts as a horror. Um, but even going into the the later uh, parts of the film, I think this is very interesting just from the psychological aspect. I know that's we talk about that um, in, in previous uh 
podcast where I kind of like have this this psychology degree or whatever, you know, I mean, but like I've been kind of exposed your, your three to, PhDs. Yeah. Yeah. My three PhDs yeah. in psychology, engineering, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the way that uh, I think hypnosis is talked about in this movie actually is quite interesting. I mean, it, from a clinical perspective, there are real procedures doing what um, Missy, I think that was her name, Missy, right? Um, that's real. I mean, there's research behind hypnosis being able to do certain things like this. And while it might not be to the degree that they portrayed in the film, I mean, there's there's a certain element of realism there, which I find absolutely fascinating. And, and the way they're able to extrapolate on that to sort of uh, underlie kind of like the control um, aspects of like the, the social dynamic in this movie. Um, I mean, there's just so much about this. This is just fantastically done, even beyond kind of like the obvious tensions. Um, I really can't say enough about it. Yeah, one of the things that jumped out to me, I mean, other than the 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 racial stuff, racial tension, all that stuff going on in the film, um, I immediately thought of Shayra that this would scare her, that this would be one of those movies that we've done this podcast enough to go, I know is going to get scared of this movie. Shayra's going to get scared of this movie. Ben, it's got anything to do with death or talking to death. Ben's going to be into that, you know. So this one, I was like, shit is going to scare the shit out of Shayra, right? Because this is one of those films where who you are is background. It's pushed to the background, whether whether you're still there or not. I, I make the argument that like the sunken place is just infinitely worse than like the pod people in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Instead of replication and copy, it's you're there. But what? how does he say it that you will be relegated to an observer, a passenger? That's what it was relegated to the to the background. Um, God damn, that is scary. Like the idea of that. What's is... so scary about it to me though, is first off, you know, I, obviously I have a, a problem with someone like taking over my body or, or taking over my brain or whatever that is. That is absolutely the biggest fear. But the worst part about this is, uh, Jordan Peele was talking about black erasure, which is an actual fucking thing that occurs in our society today. They have that problem right now that they deal with still. And uh, it, it's it's so prevalent that um, Rachel True, who plays uh, in The Craft, she was, um, she was complaining about all these conventions that have all the girls from The Craft go, but they never invite her. And she finally, after doing um, a documentary called Horror Noir, which uh, does go, go over Get Out and other um, black horror films, um, after doing that, she's like, I can't stay silent anymore. And she went to Twitter and she was like, another convention isn't going to, is, is saying no to me being there. And uh, Faruza Balk was even like, oh, how did that even how did that even happen? I'm sure they didn't say no to you. And she's like, no, they did. They they did say no to me. I am being erased from the craft because I'm black. I cannot believe this is happening. And finally, uh, they are finally going to have all four of the girls from the craft at a, at a convention because she finally um, just got sick and tired of it. And she's like, I'm not going to let this happen while I'm still alive where I'm being erased. And and this is what it, they're talking about. We, we already have this problem of erasing black people and this story perfectly shows that horror and uh, i think it was best said i can't remember her name but one of the women in the documentary who has a phd and studies um you know these things like horror and, and black history she said that black history is horror it is black horror um so get out is just reflecting that finally the the, the things that they have lived in fear of all this time so um 
I mean, it's it's trying to let people know how scared they are about things. And I know the suburbs are scary for black people. I, I remember there was uh, this black guy who would walk through the suburbs where Daniel used to live all the time and cops would always be there. And the reason why was because some of the racists in the area would always call the cops on him just because he was walking around the suburbs. They would call the cops. Are on you every telling time. me there are racists in Texas? <laughs> yeah, there are definitely racists in Texas. So I, I can't imagine living like that, where every time you're just walking through a neighborhood, you get cops called on you. Like, that is so scary. I, I like, I can't even imagine. So I, I feel for them. It sucks. I, I can't ever empathize with them on that level. But yeah, it it's definitely it's definitely a very strong, very strong analogy in this movie, sort of the the loss of agency, the removal of, of voice, uh, you know, being forgotten, placed in the background, being a passenger, um, you know, uh, I mean, even this is not just, this is just something that isn't, this isn't even a racial thing. Uh, 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 let me be careful how I say this, that that particular thing is something that um, Jordan Peele even put in the film in a scene where a black man is talking to a black woman. So you remember the scene where the TSA agent goes to the cop and explains what's going on and, one of the funniest scenes in the whole movie is like, I got sex slaves, right? I was fucking in tears. But there, you could make the argument that here this guy's bringing her, like an actual list. There's people who are missing from this affluent area. They've been last seen in this affluent area and they're actually missing. And it's more than one person. And it's it's just ignored. It's it's placed in the background. It doesn't matter, right? Which was, which was very interesting. So this is all over the movie. It, it really isn't even so much like white people see this is what you're doing. No, it's it's a it's a much more deeper commentary, I think. And I, I really appreciate how this was was how this was relayed all throughout the entire film. Um so we were just joined by Garrett and Garrett, we all answered this question. Did you vote for Obama for a third term? Would you do that? I this is how we started the podcast and we all answered uh in, in a particular way. We need to know if you're on board with the West of the the rest of the white folks in this group. I did vote for Obama for a third term. I wrote him in. That's that's how Bradley Whitford I am. Yeah, I have been listening to your answers. I was listening in the car as I was driving home, and I got to say, it seems to me like you're all a bunch of virtue signaling, identity <laughs> politics, beta cocks up in here, been shamed about your whiteness by the black man with the camera. No, I'm just kidding. Really, that's the... Uh, that's the uh, yeah, Literally what I said, yeah. Yeah, no, everything... Um, yeah, I, I agree with the, the broad strokes of pretty much what, what everyone has been saying. Um, I will make a couple of quick additional observations, which I don't think have been made yet, even though I haven't caught every single thing. One of the things that struck me when I saw this film is how was this film not already been made? I mean, the concept is so brilliant, but also the second you see it, it's also so obvious. And of course, maybe, I don't know, two minutes after I asked myself that question, it's like, oh, because Hollywood is racist. They wouldn't film a black filmmaker to make a movie like this until now. Jordan Peele just managed to somehow scrape together, I think it was $5 million, I think the budget was, right? Um, and, you know, it was an outrageous hit, which of course is to the incredible shame because, and again, not to take anything away from Jordan Peele, but this is a film which should have been made, you know, 15, 20 years ago at least. Um, and I guess, you know, if, if you're going to have to wait for a great film, at least it's great when it gets here. Um, but it also, I mean, again, it, it, I think it highlights the shame of, of Hollywood that took them this long to make this film. And, and I suppose to their belated credit that now it does seem like there has in the last few years, it has been a lot of resurgence of 
of black filmmakers and a lot of attention uh, uh, to, to, uh, to directors and actors who are getting sort of more prominence. And that's kind of awesome. Um, so that was sort of my first uh, observation. And the second observation was that I, I, like when I walk out of a lot of films with a strong feminist bent, I had the strong inclination to listen more than talk uh, and to try to, 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 you know, sort of learn from other perspectives. And it dawned on me, and, and again, this is to my shame, uh, that at, you know, at the point in my life when I saw this film you know, and, and to this day, I didn't have an African-American friend that I felt close enough with that I felt I could walk up to them and say, hey, can you, you know, talk to me about this? And I wouldn't feel like I was like, you know, placing an unfair demand on them or asking them to educate me or perform or something like that. You know, again, I have African-American friends, but just none at the moment that I was close enough to make that request of it. And in, in the sense that it would be received in a way uh, that wouldn't seem precisely like the condescending, you know, uh, 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 you know, wanting to be better liberal uh, a white person that the film is, you know, quite ably satirizing. Um, and that made me feel sad. And again, I'm looking again, obviously every single person in this panel is white. It's a real shame that we don't have an African-American friend here, uh, you know, our token black person uh, to, 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 to color things up a little bit. Um, that's, that's precisely the thing though. Like if we did, then it would be us saying when well, we vote for Obama for a third term, if we could, like it's that it's still a kind of virtue, virtue signaling, is it not? Yeah, um, I mean, it, it's it's. I think it's a difficult line to walk, right? Because if you're doing it performatively, right? If you're doing it to try to show the world that uh, you're such a good person, or even just show one other person uh, that your heart's in the right place, or something like that, then you know, even if there is some genuine sentimentality there, um, it's you know, it, it, it becomes insincere and uh, uh, hard to take uh, as a. Um, as a genuine request, you know, it, it's, it, you want to look the part rather than, 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 than be a better person. And, you know, it, it's, it's a, you know, bizarrely puzzling, uh, a trick to figure out as to how you can actually do, achieve the one without tripping over the other. Go ahead, Ben. Uh, I, I think, I, I think it may be a little bit outside the, um, the purview of the film or, uh, anything that Jordan Peele was trying to talk about, but I, I am, um, generally wary of and deeply concerned about um, paralysis by sincerity or para uh, paralysis by authenticity um, that we we find ourselves in the in the question of well like uh, for example and uh, Garrett not to it may sound like I'm bagging on you but uh, it's this is you are hitting exactly the line of thinking that um, uh, that uh, arrested me about this film um, uh, that there is another scenario where I am sitting over here by the sidelines trying to wrestle with the question of authentic virtue while someone is in a totally unphilosophical way scared out of their mind um, because scary fucked up shit is happening. Not, uh, uh, not occurring, not uh, emerging, but actually happening. And I'm, I'm trying to wrestle with uh, questions of authentic identity and what it means to leave uh, to live a, a genuinely authentic life. Um, so th there is there is a, a a tension there as well. Um, uh, but uh, one of the, uh, one of the things that I, I love about this film and that I think that um, why, for example, I I think it had to be a horror film and absolutely agreed. Um, this is a movie that could have been made 
50 years ago, uh, certainly 20 years ago, except that um, Hollywood is racist, uh, except that Hollywood is uh, an active participant in uh, cultural erasure. Um, but why do we uh, why do we find ourselves in uh, why do we find ourselves in a position of uh, uh, trying to go at this film as uh, another um, uh, white guy gets an education and uh, becomes a better person and that's the core narrative um, except except in this case the white guy isn't on the screen it's me sitting in the chair um, so it's it's like a 3d it's like watching dances with wolves in moral 3d um, uh, instead of, this is actually a story about, um, one, whiteness is scary, two, these awkward moments, they're awkward for us. On the other side of it, there is real peril here. And that's why this had to be a horror film. That awkward, um, oh, uh, do you think it's easier to be a black man in, uh, is it, you know, like, is it positive or negative or black is so fashion, that entire party montage is a series of awkward moments and we needed to get to in this in this movie we needed to get to a point where we tied that to no material threat this is a material threat um he's not responding to social awkwardness because these are questions from people who are literally competing with each other to determine a saleable value for the sum and total of his organs and that is what is driving these questions. Yeah. Right. I think yeah. The, and then that slave auction that occurs right after that. Go ahead, Garrett. No, I was going to say, uh, yeah, I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right, Ben. Um, and again, speaking personally, but I, no doubt truth of, uh, I think, you know, a, a lot of white people when it comes to, to, to race issues, I have a horrible tendency to, to over-intellectualize them, you know? I mean, academic is part of it, of course, but it also is the fact that it's not something that I have to live with on a daily basis. You know, I can comfortably set it out of mind if I want to. Um, and so, you know, yeah, that, you know, how, you know, how do you balance, again, you know, it, it, even asking the question is bringing it back sort of to an intellectual level about wanting to be race conscious, but not wanting to be a tourist about it. Um, and uh, yeah, so, you know, I mean, it, it, I know you didn't put it this way, but but you know, again, I'm going to take it this way. Kind of fuck me on this one. I I, I, sort of, I sort of paint myself into a corner on this, and there's no way out for me. So, well, uh, and uh, uh, Andy, Andy, that the this is uh, the, the way, especially coming from a philosophical paradigm and a philosophical background, the the way to avoid this particular moral and uh, 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 existential paradox is to not fucking play at all um as a step a step aside and engage directly or to eliminate myself from the equation and do the best that i can recognizing that that is a very very limited uh, a very limited aperture that's available for me to do that um and try to watch this movie with the assumption that it has nothing to do with me that they that this was not made for me um and this what but this was made about me and that I am not the intended audience. Well, to uh, to throw a further wrench into everything, I was watching a, uh, I believe it was on Stephen Colbert about the time that um, this came out, Daniel Kaluuya was doing press for, for Get Out and uh, he reported a conversation that he had with Jordan Peele in which the new I would have voted for Obama for a third term 
the new version of that phrase is I saw get out. Which uh, sort of makes this uh, makes it even more uncomfortable. But also, like I, I think you're right, though, Ben. I think the idea of um, sort of taking ourselves out of this, and we can spend a lot of time talking about the masterwork of this film. And in fact, as much as we talk about ourselves, which we, you know we are incredibly interesting people to talk about. Um, the movie is where for every moment that I spend talking about my own personal reaction to this, I'm not talking about, you know, camera angles, use of sound, uh, uh, influencing, using other genre stereotypes, like the, uh, the music for the jump scares and whether or not those jump scares are effective and whatnot. The, um, that like how masterfully all of the setups in this film are and how brilliant the script is i think we can spend a lot of time just talking about how awesome this uh this this script is and how how tightly written it was and he knows exactly one of the things that i love about this film is he knows exactly when to let off the gas like he knows exactly when to step on a neck and exactly when to step off of the neck and uh the original ending for this film has chris going to jail and uh you know being accused of of the murders of uh the armitages and instead he chooses to end it on that comic moment of ts motherfucking a which is this it, it's a great it, it's a great kind of breath it's a it's a release it's he, he knows when to um pound in the message of the film and when to sort of pull back a little bit and let let a little humor and let a little air into it even everything with rod who's just a brilliant character um and and such a uh, a contrast from the rest of them i think that there's so much that's good about the filmmaking here that we can also kind of spend some some time in um and and uh, i was even noticing your which characters enter from the uh the left and right of the camera and and, and sure enough it all plays out uh the first shot of the film has lakeith stanfield's character entering from the right side of the screen and i was like i know what that means um and and even like lakeith's like that great moment where he's walking through the suburbs and he's muttering the street names as though they're the most ridiculous thing of like fucking flamingo way or whatever it is it's hilarious um so there's there's a lot to sort of dig into uh in in terms of the text the text itself rather than sort of the context as as well so um or we can talk about what we've been talking about as well so well i'm gonna burn the rest of my notes yeah, I, I, we could talk about both, I think, but I, like the, the important thing is, uh, you know, when, when you're talking about horror, there's, there's a monster or a, the, the ever lurking evil and that is white. So it'll keep coming up, I'm sure, because that's kind of, it is a big part of the context of it. But, um, yeah, the, we can definitely talk about, there's amazing things to talk about with the film as far as, you know, the technical aspects. Well, I mean, if we want to make ourselves feel better while we talk about these things, we could just bust out the sparklers and bingo, you guys. I mean, Jesus. Uh, you know. I brought sparklers and I can go get them. <laughs> yeah, I got a signed photo of Tiger Woods somewhere in the other room. I mean, Jesus, we could go that route. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, you know what this film did that I really liked? Um, so there's two things. Um, 
it, there's really, um, and I don't know how many times this happened. I know in the intro, there's a, a very abrupt violin sound music. And there's some horror films. I, I'm starting to notice this in the in a few horror films I like where they have a very just a very small amount of that, and it's usually in the intro. So the witch has a a, a particular scene like this. Drag me to hell of all things has uh, quite a few sequences like this at the beginning, and um, you know usually in moments to under to make the tension more palpable. I think. But it was done really well in this film, and I, I, I just love that. When I heard that, I was like, oh, sh I felt like I was in for it. Like it's, it, I'm at the point now that when I hear that, I know I'm in for it. That sort of thing, which I, I really dug. Um, and shit, what was the other note I was gonna make? Um, yeah. Oh, the, uh, for me, the acting in this movie was was like top notch. The, the brother, the, the racist jujitsu yeah. brother uh is uh, a great actor he's in a, another film that i'm adding to this list one of the few few vampire films that we've done uh byzantium i'm gonna add that to this list he's in that um the, obviously the 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 main actor from black mirror that we've been talking he's from black mirror also that we've been talking about and then the dad is from cabin in the woods i did not know that that was the same guy from the cabin in the woods He's from West Wing, man. How can you not know Bradley Whitford from West Wing? I, 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 don't, I did not know that. I, but he had that face, and I'm like, what? He's in another horror movie we've done. And I did not, I just couldn't piece it together. I'm like, holy shit, that's the same guy from Drag Me to Hell. He was great. He was a Caleb fucking- Landry, Caleb Landry Jones is the uh, the brother, Daniel Kaluuya's Chris. Uh, Bradley Whit Whitford is uh, is is the, the father, Dean Armitage. And let's shout out Betty Gabriel as well, who plays the grandmother, um, or oh, oh boy, no. uh, the grandmother who's been Georgina, who's been taken over. Technical that Georgina, the, the Betty Gabriel, that there's that scene when it has the angle on her. And she's shaking her head saying, no, 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 no. I mean, that is so brilliant because you can see both layers. You see the, you know, the, the white person possessing her and you see, you know, the real her fighting to try and take control. You see both of them at the same time. You don't quite know how to make sense of it just yet because the, the plot hasn't been dropped. But that is just such, a, you know, the, the angle it's shot from is just fantastic. But also her performance, even though she's just repeating one word over and over again and shaking her head. Oh, man, that cuts through me. That's so well done. And my, she almost never favorite moved. Thing about Go ahead, man. Go ahead. I was just going to say she almost never moves her face. Like, that's all acting with eyes. Go ahead. Other than her performance, which was absolutely fantastic, and that they wound up using one take, that's a continuous take that they intercut with to get Chris's reaction. My favorite thing about uh, my favorite thing about that shot is that as she is coming forward, no, 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 no. She blocks every exit from the room. Yep. She, I mean that they frame yeah. out all of the exits. So what on that note, one of the things, so this, this goes down to almost a linguistic level, the interactions, it, like once you know what's going on and you can see, let's say in that scene, kind of the inner fight between 
you know, the consciousness being subverted and and the the grandmother and, and that fight, you know, you obviously don't know that's happening. But so think of the scene when um, I think it's the same actress when they're like, I, I, uh, I you know, snitch or don't snitch, snitch, tattletale, tattletale. There's this like back and forth language thing going on. And when I first watched the movie, I was like, this set, what the, I have the same sort of look as Chris. I'm like, what, why, what do you, you know, but there's, so there's like, um, and I actually, so I tried my best to make a little list of all of these when I saw them, the sort of like weirdisms, I call it, I call it like whiteisms, but it's like weirdisms between them. So it's like uh, dog on, like dog on it's that said like 30 times. I, that cracked, I actually laughed my ass off. How many times they say like the dog on thing or whatever, funny business, no funny business. Um, my man, uh, tattletale, uh, I put sparklers in bingo. I, yeah. Uh, I love tiger woods. Uh, but the the main one that was interesting to me was like when they were trying to understand each other, she was trying to understand snitch. She didn't understand the word snitch, tattletale. And I was just, it was one of those weird moments where I, I started to piece together, I think, what was happening in the movie. But I mean, even that has some significance, just like the difference in language between the, 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 the what was it, Armitage grandmother, I guess that's who it was at the time, and, and Chris. But uh, I, that, like that, what other film does this shit happen in like this? What other, especially what other horror film? Um, there's a sense in which one of the things we could talk about is how novel some of this is. I mean, there's tons of horror films about, you know, consciousness being taken away, some planted death. I mean, that's like at the core of every horror film is, is dying, not being, not being there to, to a certain extent. But this is like, this is like worse. This is like being there, not being there. You know, this isn't like not being there. This is being there, not being there. I don't know. That just... There's like, there's one movie. other film that does this as well. Which there's one? one other film that does this as well, and it has the same woman in it. The one who plays the mother is in being John Malkovich. And um, I, I saw it, I think it was a Vanity Fair or whatever, like a video where Jordan Peele read all of the fan theories for this film. And um, someone had mentioned the fact that they're in the same exact realm, and this is 20 years later uh, where, where that character ends up. But it's the idea of like, taking over someone's body, moving them around like a puppet and making them do as you will while they have to linger in the back. And um, so uh, apparently Jordan had met up with the creator of uh, um, being John Malkovich and brought this up and, and they were like, yeah, let's, okay, fine. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's in the same world. Uh, it's the same idea of puppeteering people, but that it that was also, or Spike Jones, yeah, that's who it was. Um, but like, yeah, it is. A, it's kind of that puppeteering kind of thing. And what's interesting though is John Malkovich wasn't necessarily a horror film, but um, it it is kind of horrific if you think about it. So it, there there is some parallels there with her. I guess Keeney just gets into these get in your head films. Yeah, I mean, well, we we did the Lobster, so there. Yeah, it shows you how how, how much plasticity we have in our podcast for doing. So if we're, if we're talking about actors too, I think, um, I know you've, you've already mentioned Lakeith Stanfield, of course, uh, who was in Sorry to Bother You and um, is great in Atlanta. Um, and I mean, the when when he's doing the whole, I'm a white, you know, he's acting as a white person. I mean, it, it is simultaneously offsetting and scary and funny and and just spot on. I I, I think his 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 performance in, in general, but that scene in particular is, is just, just fantastic. Uh, uh, Lakeith, if you ever hear this podcast, you single-handedly made Death Note watchable. 
<laughs> and if you ever uh, hear this podcast, I love you. And uh, I would like to be the president of your fan club. <laughs> um, what are uh, some other, like, uh, great mo I mean, of course, we've got to uh, sort of shout out the, uh, the actor who plays Rod, uh, Lil Ray Howery. And uh, and then of course Stephen Root gets uh, cast as a blind person again. Um, that's a cliche these days. Uh, one of the things I thought you were going to mention, Shira, was Upgrade, which all which came out last year. Um, that's that's kind of oh, similar. Yeah, to, yeah, you're uh, right. Betty Gabriel's in that as well. So that was a really good movie. I absolutely loved that movie. Um, I I wouldn't mind even. I don't know if it's considered horror, but. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind doing a review of that at some point. Well, that's um, uh, yeah, the, has to deal with that sort of being taken over by a uh, yeah, like having a robot take over for you, just just lacking control completely uh, in that way. I mean, it's kind of cool if it's kicking people's butts for you, but um, it's it's not cool if you can't control your own body and yeah, and, and it removes you at the end, not to blow the entire film for someone who hasn't seen it. Spoiler. <laughs> uh, no, it's someone. Uh, someone brought up in the comment section. I don't know how to say their name, so I don't want to mess it up. But uh, Africoca. Um, they brought up something that I was going to bring up, but I think it's a really important point. Um, that that Peel is actually biracial. He's a white mom, and um, so maybe a lot of that the codes that you guys were talking about is is there because he had that. Uh, biracial upbringing and so he's going to be able to spot these kinds of things um, i know in in key and peel he made a joke about how having a white mom makes it so that she can't spank him in the grocery store like other other moms might be able to do like he could just turn around and be like i can't believe you, you are hitting me like this it's like okay never mind and that he would use that to his advantage as a child um so well i, th I think uh Code uh, code switching is um, code switching is kind of a default survival skill unless your primary code happens to be the one that lets you open every door, walk into every room, and hold every job. Um, that's yeah, that's a that's a fair point, and especially uh, you know as we're sort of looking at the the context of this film and, and how it sort of speaks to American society. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right there. Um, I, you know, the, the, the target of this film isn't just, I think on racial, uh, along racial lines. It's there's, there's also a sense of um, economic lines as well, that this is also about class to, to some degree. Um, the, the, I, I think that as these uh, these the the bidders, so to speak, the the party attendees, um, one of the reasons that they are able to um, fetishize blackness the way they do and to um, admire uh, blackness as they do is because they are secure in their socioeconomic position that it's not it, that there's there's sort of a a class prejudice and or not a class prejudice but a class um, superiority that they bring with them into this 
this interaction as they they interview and then bid upon uh, the African American subject subject. And, and and I wonder like you know, through all of the discussions about the racial dynamics, and those are important discussions, and I think that's that's probably where the majority of this uh, this film's criticism is, like the, the criticism surrounding this film, the, the cultural conversation surrounding this film is going to uh, necessarily center around race, but I, I, I think we're, we're, we're giving it a disservice if we don't also talk about the um, the class uh, superiority that's that's also being um, targeted by this movie and by its subject matter as well, the, or not? <laughs> did, did anyone else notice that? And what about you, Ben? Well, <laughs> how about we say this? Uh, eat, eat the rich, okay? <laughs> like, eat the rich. I, I don't know. There's there was definitely a, a lot to say about like. Um, as far as like class, um, the idea that if you've had this background of a bunch of your ancestors have always thrived and they can like pass that on to you and you're going to be able to thrive and, and live in, in this privileged lifestyle. But also they go into, um, you know, kind of what Chris had gone through with losing his mother and having that continuously haunt him. And that's something that um, so I, I believe there was some kind of a, a racial like slur that people use towards black people. It had something to do with bucks or or deer or something like that at some point in time. Yeah, they, they, that's how um, they used to call slaves. They used to call slaves bucks. Okay, yeah, and I didn't even know that till I watched this film. Um, but there's possibly like a connotation about like how his background was. His his people were dying. They were suffering. They were uh, being mounted on someone's wall. You know, they were suffering through all this stuff. And that's why he, you know, he is where he is and where she, her family is. So um, I, I think there is like a, a classism that we could talk about, but also how we've like maybe held back people from being able to get one up, like being able to purchase properties or being able to. And this is why we have the suburbs. And gosh, there's a whole tangent we could go on about the suburbs. And right. um, but but yeah, there's definitely those tones and those storylines about our past and how they kind of haunt us. And in fact, if we went to the actual ending of the film that was supposed to come out where Chris does end up in jail, uh, the ending that was original was that um, he, he does choke and kill her to death. She's dead. And then the cops come and arrest him. He goes to prison and it's six months later and he's talking on the phone, you know, through a window to his, his friend, the TSA agent. And, um, he basically says that he's actually free because his soul is free in that he stopped the car and he picked up Georgina's body and put her in the car, which helped him deal with the demons of not doing anything and staying frozen when his mom was hurt. Huh. So he was able to deal with the demons from his childhood and his soul is free. So it doesn't matter if he is imprisoned because he killed all the bad guys that were going to hurt other black people. And he is, his soul is free <clears throat> because of uh, dealing with the demons of his mother. I, I'm I'm profoundly glad that Jordan Peele did not release yeah. that ending. Um, I, I, I think I, I think I'm it's not even directed at me or specifically is specifically derogatory to me, but I, I'm fed up with I'm I'm tired of the um, 
uh, a spiritually enlightened um, a, a spiritually enlightened black man who can sit in a jail cell for the rest of his life as long as he occasionally offers a little nugget of enlightenment to white folks. Um, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. Sac uh, sacrifice, uh, sacrificial Negro, or you know, I'm I'm free. I'm absolutely free, except in all the ways that you know matter. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm totally free. I'm superior to all of you, except for uh, economic opportunity, future prospects, or ability to affect uh, any change in the world whatsoever. Um, he actually said the reason I, why I, he chose to switch it out was because he was like um, he said that he's tired of this story and he knows that we're uh -huh. ready to go to the next step. And what's funny is um, he's like, I wish we could go back to it because the acting in it was phenomenal. The guys did an amazing job acting it out, but he still is very glad he chose the ending he did because as you guys said, it is a nice little, okay. <laughs> but yes, you're right. There, yeah. And it's comedic because of Rod and, and yeah, I mean, I think you're getting to a lot of good points, especially because there's a lot of visual similar, like the, the visuals of the film are trying to relate us to the uh, dead deer at the beginning. And then in the next scene, well, not the, in a couple scenes later, um, Bradley Ritford's character talks about deer in uh, the type of language that is often used in racial, um, racist uh, uh, polemics, um, you know, where uh, when I, oh boy, uh, when, when I see one of those deer dead, I think that's a good start and on and on and on. Like there's, they, it, they're just they're like rats, they're destroying our okay, countryside. They are, yep, yeah. Right. And it's very, it's this very deliberate parallel between first relating the African-American protagonist to the dead deer and then relating the dead deer to racist um, language that's been used to describe uh, non-whites for, for in, in history. And I think that's just a subtle, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a subtle point and it works really well within the, the context of, of the larger story. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're bringing up a good point, you know, sort of bringing us to that relationship between the visual representation of, of, uh, animals with the linguistic, uh, representation of, uh, of non-white people in America. And what does Chris kill Armitage Sr. with at the end of the film? Uh-huh. Tyranny. Yeah. A buck. <laughs> a buck. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I agree the ending in the film that they have now is a, is kind of a palate, as a palate cleanser, but it certainly is the right amount of uh, humor on top of what is an incredibly intense and kind of horrifying scene. Again, this is, there's anything this film masters. I mean, the racial stuff is powerful and important, but it's, it to me is really, um, God, those two emotions conflict so heavily, you know, humor and horror. I mean, to to put them so masterfully into a film together is just rare and strange and weird, but it works. And uh, I don't know, it's 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 very novel. Um, but going back to, I, I was thinking, I never thought of this actually. The the magical Negro trope is is I, predominantly female African Americans, right? Like, think of um, the fuck is the movie I'm thinking of now with the ghost with the doing the pottery shit. I, um, yeah, it's Whoopi Goldberg, and she's yes. literally that trope in almost everything she's yeah. in, I yeah. swear. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's totally true. It's totally true that dawned on me. I was like, yeah, that's a, that's, that really a is a thing. Bird. Kill a Mockingbird. To kill a Mockingbird. To kill a Mockingbird, Green Mile, almost every Green black Mile. man Stephen King ever wrote. 
No, it's it. it no, you're I, right. I don't. Yeah, yeah it's it, it is well worn. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm thinking back. There's some X Files episodes that almost have this throughout the entire episode with a a Jamaican man in jail. There's an uh, one of my favorite X Files episodes actually has something like this in that. Wow, I never really. I never. Uh, there's a lot. I, I never thought about that. I mean, in I thought about it, but think about how how thick it is. Jesus. In fairness, everyone on the X Files is magical. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. That's that's a decent counter argument. That's fair. Uh, Danielle and I noticed on the X Files, by the way, whenever there is an ethnic, an Indian, an African American, whenever like there's a non-white um, doing some voodoo magical thing, there's the same fucking music that plays. Not like similar music. The same sound. The same because we binged the whole thing in like a month, and. Three or four episodes use the same fucking music whenever there's a yeah there's one uh, one in prison where there's a Jamaican guy killing the the um, the security guards a particular way and then there's another one with an Indian and there's another one when they go to India and and it's the same fucking music and I thought that's that's kind of weird that's a little weird so well, I mean this this trope is is. Uh, it, it's older than film, like it's literary as well. I mean, there are those who who argue that um, Huck Finn, uh, that the Jim in The Adventures of Huck Finn follows this trope. And even prior to that, it's it's entrenched in Americana um, and, and it's it's gone from a magical indigenous person to a magical uh, non-white person, any sort of magical non-white person. Um, so this is this is old as as can be within our culture. Um, film is just the latest medium that sort of picks it up, and then of course Jordan Peele is kind of making fun of it and uh, and and leveraging it for his own purposes, trying to uh, uh, to to turn the whole thing on its head, um, and and criticize the trope and criticize our culture for deploying the trope, and it's the. It's the oldest, it's one of the oldest American tropes. Um, and and uh, a kind of a, a branch off of that trope, which you actually see um, Rachel True kind of plays in, in the craft at times, uh, is the, the black female character that's always like, oh girl, I'm gonna give you some advice. Like, and, and you need to stop doing that. It's like, it, it, this idea that that's what, it. yeah, it's scream. It's, it's so, uh, it, it happens even in, horror movies uh, all the time it's so tired <laughs> and it's so it needs to not pop up anymore it, i would really appreciate that to go away there, there's another there's a bit in um not another teen movie in which they have you know a token african-american character and uh you know uh someone asks his opinion and his response is oh no i'm not here to say anything intelligent i'm just here to say things like damn and that's whack I want to. I want to really quickly take this back to something Ben, one of the Bens, the conglomerate of Ben, uh, said early on. One of the Bens about. Um, it, it, wait, it, yeah. wait. I'm sorry to cut you off, but do you realize you're doing to them what happened in the movie? <laughs> you're taking away one of the Bens' agencies, and they're a passenger to the Ben. <laughs> this is this podcast is the most meta like podcast we've ever had. I just want to point that out. Like frozen in which notes I should talk about what I shouldn't say. I can't even fucking talk to the Bens here anymore. Uh, but I want to go back to what one Ben. Yeah, <laughs> all Bens are one Ben. 
thought this was going to take the Highlander route for a second, but yeah, that's I think what you're doing scarier. Yeah. So yeah. I uh, yeah. going back to what Ben Caruth has said. Uh, there, you know, if we there's one scene in this movie to me that um, well, there's more than one, but the one that comes to mind that I actually think is the most terrifying is towards the end when Chris is in the room at the bottom of the house and. He's watching that goddamn Armitage video, which was so white. I couldn't get over how white that fucking video was. It's terrifying, but like there's music and shit. Like <laughs> it's just so fucking awful. But there's a scene uh, during that scene, you know, he's coming in and out of consciousness and he's so terrified. He's sweating and everything. Imagine the fear that one has to when they're awake, just being able to crunch their hands on the couch to pull out the cotton to be able to put the cotton in the ear, you know, to to not hear the the next piece, so that he can feign being uh, under you know under the spell, so to speak. Like the amount of fear in that scene is 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 just I it hit me as like one of the most intense scenes I've seen in a long time in a horror film, and it was terrifying. Um, I, I oddly enough, even then, I, the idea of you know there's putting cotton in your ears right before you kill Armitage Senior with a buck. There's there's some metaphors dancing around this world here, but you know uh, that scene in particular, divorce of any kind of racial conversation, was just as a horror film. That's fucking scary. I mean, there's movies where I think of Hostel, where they're tied down to a chair and they're about to get some of the most. You know, watching Hostel when they're tied to that chair, you're about to see limbs come off. You're about to see some nasty shit. I was way more terrified in that that kid being in that seat and get out than I was watching Hostel. I just was, it was a mental fear. It was a, uh, I, it was something deeper, you know what I mean? Than violence, than physical violence. And um, I I like horror films that that do shit like that. There's you know, one of the things I noticed in the films that we discuss is there's a real element of cerebral horror in the films we choose. I mean, there's certain ones auditioned, super violent but even audition had some cerebral shit going on it we seem to be selecting lots of horror films that's that's up here there's shit up here that's going on that that you don't like to think about particular things up here it's not exploding body parts it's not there's like it's like salt and pepper it's like you put it on a, there's a little bit of it in some of these horror movies but it ain't the it ain't the main dish it ain't what's doing the trick i kind of dig that but i that particular scene probably the scariest scene in that movie to me um even more so than uh, than than the the no 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 that was terrifying. But just that's just to think how scared one must be and how unbelievably terrifying it is. So you can only move your fingers your from this sheer horror and anxiety of where you're at to pull out those little pieces of cotton and put it in your ear. That was fucking scary. So. Can I ask a can I ask a question of the group and see what your opinions are on this? Because yeah. I there's something that kind of I think has gone over my head or maybe I haven't thought about enough. But why is it that taking the pictures of people is what snaps them out of it for a second? Is it the flash or is it them taking pictures? Is this commentary on taking pictures is how we we rescue uh, people from the the racism that's happening today? Like, is it is it the light or is it the camera? Is there something else that I missed? I think the answer to that is Peel needed a mechanism to drop the brainwashing for just a second. And that's what he came up with. Yeah, I mean, within the context of the plot, I think it's the flash, but I like where you're going with it. Like, I like the idea of photo... Citizen journalism as accountability and interrupting cycles of abuse. That's 
it may not have been intended, but that's a pretty cool metaphor. Yeah, I that, that's what I that's what I'm thinking too, Ben. Is that this did little... I pull something out of my butt, but it might work? <laughs> and I oh. was like, that's where my mind went. <laughs> I think, see, I don't think that it was. I think within the mechanism of the plot, it's the Flash. Like that's that seems rather. Um, but that's a boring answer, and yours is more interesting. So let's go with yours. <laughs> See, I'm uh, definitely a fan of the metaphor. I think that's that's actually fantastic. I'm, let's let's go ahead and go with that. But like something uh, something else that was kind of interesting is a parallel too. I mean, I think we kind of see that exact same mechanism in Glass, right? Like a, a horror movie that's that's um, or is it categorized as a horror? I don't know. Anyway, so they use this flash mechanism to change um, the horde, like this this guy from Split, through his personalities, but. If anything, like, I mean, they do in the movie tie this back to um, something about epilepsy and how, uh, you know, flashes of light can trigger epileptic seizures. But obviously that wasn't what happened. He states this. Um, but I do think it sends like some kind of like a, a jolt or something like that, or at least it's distracting enough to take away that conscious thought where you're not focusing on, um, you know, the controller or whatever like that. But I think it might just be like distracting enough as a mechanism, but there is some other kind of like thing that's going on there where it does trigger something a little bit um, more basic in the brain, right? So if you, if you think about the procedure that they describe, it's they said that they have to remove everything except for close to the brainstem or something like that. So like, that's why there's a little bit of consciousness left. Right. And so like, that might be the area where you would see some kind of like a, a reaction because of like a sudden flash of light or something like that. Um, again, just to spin a little bit more bullshit around that, that probably isn't true, but like, maybe it sounds kind of interesting. But Hey, can I keep spinning with the bullshit? So oh, yeah. I want to, I want to point out also that during that part, when they were talking about that, he kept on insisting, this is not, that does, that's not what ep epilepsy is. And she appealed to an expert. She's like, I think I'm going to go with what my dad says since he's, you know, the expert. And you're like, no, I know that you're wrong about this. And I don't care that you're appealing to an expert because I know what a seizure is. Uh, and I know what epilepsy is. Um, so I, I thought that was really fascinating because she totally tried to act like he was wrong. I'm, I'm right, and it's the sort of white establishment versus black experiential knowledge. Uh, go ahead, Garrett. No, I, I'm going to sort of do my best actually to not delve into the neuroscience on this because that's I think a not the point, and b if I did, it would I would, I would start ruining things for both myself and other people. But um, what I what I do want to say, though, is the fact that it has that sort of neuroscience element makes me wonder. Now, again, I, I have no reason to think this actually happened, but you know, it, it seems to me that if it didn't happen in this world, there's a near possible world where it did happen, where, you know, some producer read Jordan Peele's script and said, you know what, I like all this brain swapping stuff, but the race stuff is a little too thick. So I want to buy your premise and I want to strip out all the race stuff and just make it a story about how people are swapping their brains in other people's bodies. And that would, that would be the, you know, the, the horror element of it. Um, and, you know, he, again, not saying it happened, but if it did, he could have made a hefty paycheck selling that concept and letting them gut it. But, you know, uh, you know Jordan Peele being Jordan Peele, of course, didn't, wasn't interested in that. And so he took, yeah. And again, I've looked up the figures here. He had a $5 million budget. Uh, turned it into $255 million worldwide cumulative growth. So that's a 51% return on investment, um, which makes it one of the most profitable, you know, uh, one of the highest ROIs of any horror movie ever made. It's just, uh, you know, you know. so again, I don't think it happened, but I kind of wish it did just so he could say, fuck you, white producer who wanted to strip this of the thing that really made it awesome. 
And of course, the funny part about that is the guy who gets most of that $250 million is Jason Blum, the, uh, the white producer who, uh, who uh, greenlit the film and whose uh, production company is primarily responsible for it. Although Jordan Peele's Monkey Paw Productions was, was also involved. And, I don't know. And, and Peele also now has a blank check to do whatever the fuck he wants, you know, and, which is exactly. And again, he's, he's following up with another horror film, which I love because, you know, again, he's a man of so many talents. You know, he could have done straight drama. He could have done a comedy. Uh, you know, he, but he's cho choosing to follow up with another horror film. And I think that's fantastic. And us well, looks and great. One, one of the things that one of the things that he did with that success is create an environment where Spike Lee had carte blanche to make whatever fucking kind of movie he wanted to without production interference. And that the result of that was Black Klansman. That's the, the first place that uh, Jordan Peele took that pile of money he made off of Get Out um, and the pile of credibility and leverage he had with Jason Blum. And Black Klansman, you know, then gets nominated for Best Picture and Spike for his first Best, best Director nomination. Uh, neither of them will win next Sunday, but, you know, at least uh, at least the nominations happened and, and, and Black Klansman's one of my top top movies of the year. Um, yeah, I, uh, let's see, I, there was a couple, there were a couple other notes that I had about this movie and, and, uh, how awesome it was. I mean, we mentioned the acting, uh, Catherine Keener and, and Bradley Whitford, Allison Williams deserves mention too, who plays basic white girl about as, as good as anybody else could possibly do. But Shaver, you were telling me about the Fruit Loops earlier. What, what, what wasn't the, the thing with that again? Uh, at the end, she's eating Fruit Loops separate yeah. from the milk, and yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah. she was eating. She was eating her Fruit Loops like this, mm -hmm. which uh, is absolutely ludicrous. Who who the heck eats their cereal like this? Um, but she was she was not even um, like dipping the Fruit Loops, which I would think if you at least dipped it, it might make it make more sense. But she was eating them individually and biting into it, not putting one in her mouth. She was like. Like biting into a Fruit Loop, I mean, eating it like this, and then she got a straw and then drank the milk after she ate the Fruit Loop. What kind of insane bitch eats Fruit Loops this way? Uh, uh, the we it, in the context of this film, like the the glass of white milk, it's pretty yeah clear. It's separating colors from whites. We yeah, um, it's yeah. Oh no 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 no. <laughs> No, proud. No, no, I'm fucking serious. Proud boy. I know, I know. The tall, the tall glass of white milk mm -hmm. has been a skinhead symbol for decades. Right. It has. It has. Yeah, this. Uh, it's white supremacy. <laughs> and actually, I, I know that there was a whole, um, what is it called? A meme uh, that was really going around about the, the milk uh, as far as recently to kind of mock that but yeah there's there is a connotation with milk and white supremacy yes i like a couple of pretty high profile lynchings in the last couple of years Oy, yeah, yeah i didn't i didn't know that i didn't know about the the uh, the milk thing at all i mean i i thought that was a very odd scene i i got the obvious like colors separated from milk thing that's sort of how i took it i thought that was they laid that on pretty thick um but yeah i didn't know that that's, he did that's... mention though in an interview that the reason why he did that was because what kind of crazy person 
eats their cereal <laughs> that way. Uh, he wanted to put forth the point that she was weird. Like that's not a, what a normal person would do. Yeah. And to let you really know, because the whole time they had been building up that she's the ally. I mean, they, they fake us out. Like she's the ally the whole time. And then she, when she grabs the keys, it goes, did you really think I was going to give you the keys? It's like, oh, you. And, 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 so, and her acting there is so good. She changes she changes gears so quickly and so smoothly from the desperate, desperate, desperate to cold as fuck. It's 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 a solid piece of acting on on, on her part right there. Now, and my so they had to they had to show how actually how she actually is. So you have the pictures of all the black people that she's collected up on the back um, and her eating the cereal strangely while listening to the whitest music ever while looking for her next prey. And um, I think the most messed up part about this is that she was luring people in by dating them. And the blind guy was trying to say, oh, this is, uh, you're, you're lucky that you got caught by her and not the brother because his, his ways of collecting people is way worse. And it's like, oh, thanks for the silver lining, asshole. But um, yeah, she's, she's bent. She's, she's a scary monster person. And the best way to depict that is to show her being very strange robotic. She started turning robotic near the end. Um, I'm glad they added that. I, yes, you're to you guys are all totally right. That particular addition to her character made her seem so much more insidious and psychopathic. You know, even the way she puts her hair and it, it, uh, unbelievably, like almost clinically clean cut. It's like a hospital wrapped up into a fucking person when you look at her in that scene. It's just so strange and different. And I it, I don't know. I, it definitely added to the whole scene. One of the things I was going to add is I think we're going to have four or five Jordan Peele horror films. I, I saw an interview with him and he said, you know, Get Out was written a while ago, a long time ago. He had Get Out written quite a, quite a long time ago. And... Um, you know, I, he has, in the last interview I saw with him, ideas for, I think he said four horror films that he wants to do, obviously us being the second one. So it will be interesting to see, obviously a huge fan of horror. He was all over Eli Roth's History of Horror um, documentary. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how, what comes next. I So far, I mean, God, talk about hitting it out of the park with your first fucking major film. My God, you know. Did you guys have anything else you guys want to add about the film? I'm trying to go through my notes, pick the widest notes I have here. Um, well, uh, um, I, okay. Oh, go ahead, Garrett. No, I was just, I want to throw in a uh, no, piece of trivia. Apparently the, uh, the inspiration for the film, uh, uh, according to Peel, was uh, um, uh, an Eddie Murphy bit in which Eddie Murphy is, uh, says he doesn't understand horror movies and horror movies you know, a ghost shows up and the white people just hang around. And he's just like, you know, you know, if, if I was walking through a beautiful house and my, I hear a ghost whisper, get out. I'm like, sorry, baby, we can't stay. We gotta go. And that that apparently was what where, what he drew the 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 idea from. And before, but before Chris knows what's going on, but he uh, he understands that there is a grim situation, but he the full reveal hasn't occurred. He does go up those fucking stairs. Don't go up the stairs. You don't go up the stairs. You never go up the stairs. Um, I, I did have I, I did have a couple of uh, quick notes. Um, uh, color language and color based puns. The movie is chock full of them. 
Um, but they are most uh, prominently on display when the dad is giving the tour of the house. Um, oh, we've got black mold down there. Yeah, well, yeah. It's a black. It is a black mold. You pour in the white guy <laughs> into the shape of blackness. Um, uh, when uh, they're first coming, when they're first coming onto the porch, the first line the mom directs to Chris: "Oh, you must be wiped. You must be white." Um, uh, and uh, these are these these are intentional um, little little gags uh, along the way. Losing um, to Jesse Owens. Damn humor <laughs> coming out. I mean that that whole uh, tour of the house was chock full of sort of racial uh, racial sort of um, you know the 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 fact that the grandfather lost to Jesse Owens. I would vote for Obama on and on black servants and in a white household. Oh yeah, black mold, I think you're right. We kept a little piece of my, my mother died. She liked cooking so much. We kept a little piece of her in here. Um, that's, mm. yeah. No like, one lies. That's another, that's another very important thing about this movie. There is uh, one and only one lie told throughout the entire course of the movie. And it is when Rose says that she has never dated a black guy before. Although arguably that's not technically a lie because I wouldn't call what she's doing exactly dating. Um, but but um, she does not lie to Chris. Everything that she tells him is technically true. Everything that Georgina says is technically true. Everything the parents say all through the movie, it's technically true once you know the actual lay of the land. Well, and also when she gets pulled over, well, when she doesn't get pulled over, but when the cop comes after they hit the deer in the beginning, a lot of people assume that she was trying to defend him because he's black and why does the cop need to see his ID if he was a passenger? But really what she was doing was trying to hide the fact that he had been going with her to the house so that no one could trace them back together and uh, possibly incriminate them in the missing persons issue. Exactly. That was, uh, exactly. It makes so much more sense after you see the movie for the second time. It's sort of why I appreciated this movie a little bit more on repeat viewing than I did uh, when I first saw it. I mean, I recommended it and liked it when I first saw it, but I liked it a lot more after I saw it a second time. The second viewing has you going, oh, oh. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I picked up some of the things they were setting up. Like when he pointed to the basement door and said, we had to seal that up because of black mold. I'm like, ah, that's going to come in later. I know this. Uh, that's because I've seen horror movies before. Um, the other thing is like Chris's superpower is saying it's cool. Like that's everything. Like in terms of de-escalating situations, he is like the fucking Iron Man of. No, nah, it's good. It's all right. Um, Alma, there's so it, like if you just go in and count the number of times Chris de-escalates a situation, uh, you know, have a shot every time he says, "No, it's cool. Don't worry about it." Um, it, you you will be drunk in the first ten minutes of this movie. It's he, that's his superpower, and it's uh, once you sort of go in, uh, you know, knowing everything and and watching it on the second viewing, and then noticing how many times he sort of de-escalates something. It really brings to the fore some of the um, ideas that you were talking about or that that we were all talking about earlier is how um, for African Americans de-escalating 
white insecurity is a matter of survival and he has become expert at it um which is a fascinating element of his character in this film i'm done talking no i like i'm so glad you brought that up that was one of the things that was so um upsetting about the film when you watch it is just how much he's trying so hard to be cool about stuff that is not cool that is super not cool and 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 what's interesting is uh her character the whole time is like no it's not it's not cool it's happening to you although we you know, find out later she's a horrible person, but she's sitting there saying, no, you should not be okay with this. You should fight for yourself. I find it very interesting that the main bad guy is the one telling him what he needs to do to protect himself. Like we, we can leave right now. But, but that's just it. He's not, she's not, she's not telling him what she, what he needs to do to protect himself. She is invalidating his perception of danger. At every turn, she is invalidating his uh, invalidating his perception of danger. It is not safe for him to pick a fight with the cop in the beginning. Um, right. uh, at the at the very very start, um, she's uh, uh, he said, "Do they know I'm black?" Well, why? Why would I? Why would I possibly mention that? She totally negates and invalidates his perception of threat and risk right up until she reveals what her agenda actually is. Yeah, no, that part was, was messed up, but she did keep saying we can leave now. And I have found a lot of horror movies do this too, uh, where the bad guy will be like, well, then just leave. You know, if you have a problem, just leave. Um, this generally happens in a lot of those like thriller movies where a woman's in an abusive relationship. Um, which is also the other interesting thing. Um, I feel like Chris kind of took the the role of a final girl in a lot of ways. And when you mentioned the stairs, running up the stairs, I was like, oh my God, he's a final girl in a lot of ways. Like um, that's what happens with women. They tend to take the wrong ways or they tend to get invalidated. They tend to be told that their uh, risk assessment is incorrect when it is totally correct. Uh, it, he might be a final girl in, in that respect. I think you're right. I think he totally is a final girl. Um, I the the one thing that I differ from your analysis is is that she does say that we will leave, but it's only after he tells her that he loves her. Like it's uh, that whole scene begins with, as Ben was saying, you know, there she's sort of downplaying his anxieties. She's downplaying uh, the degree to which he feels danger, and then at one point he says. Uh, he sort of confesses about his mother and says, I, I love you. And at that point, she says, okay, then let's get the fuck out of here. This sucks. And, uh, like, it, it's almost as though, like, he need, she needed in order to complete her plan, not just his um, presence there, but also his emotional investment in her, which makes her even more uh steel-hearted and manipulative than than she was uh than she was if, with her second viewing of this thing yeah uh, if he's going to leave whether she's with him or not she has no way of keeping him from leaving that's that yeah that's a good point that sort of wraps this whole thing this both the plot and thematic elements together so uh I, I do have a question for you guys. It's a little off topic, um, but this is maybe the third film we've done 
that has, I think this is a trope, you guys probably know this more than me, but the, the deer thing, we've there's been a lot of films we've been watching where a deer dies in the beginning or something happens to an animal in the beginning. Um, there's a, a something, it, the deer doesn't die, but there's a train to Busan has something with a deer at the beginning. This film, um, The Invitation has almost an exact replicated scene as in this film, except it's a coy uh, coyote or something. But exactly like it's it's at the very beginning of these films. What and it's in a ton of horror films. What do you think that is? It's enough now to where it's a thing. I'm noticing. What is that about? Blanket question. Oh shit! This is going to be you in about half an hour. <laughs> it's certainly that's it's exactly certainly what it is. Yeah, it, it's certainly. But it's also, I mean, I think it's more than that, Ben. It's also about how nature is out of balance, how there is something um, that, that, that uh, in the sort of um, milieu of the film, that something is amiss and that something is, is cruel, that um, there, is, there is death. It's not just this is going to be you, but it's sort of a reflection on the entire environment in which these characters find themselves. Um, I, that's I have to true in Get Out, and it's true, I think, in Train to Be Home, especially, because that's that's even more of a uh, um, phenomenological film than this one is. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I really want to kind of uh, turn that on its head really quickly. Um, and I think this was the whole point of uh, Antichrist whenever we watch that. Throughout that entire film, not just at the beginning, there are these different scenes of um, kind of like carnage and animalistic um, <clears throat> natural coldness in the face of death. And instead of showing you that something is out of balance, I think it's there to remind you of something that you've forgotten. And that would be the fragility of life and kind of like that natural cycle there where, I mean, generally in our everyday lives we're sort of protected from that and shielded from that, but perhaps in the next few hours that veil is being lifted and you're no longer protected from what is perfectly ordered and natural. That's a good uh, point. Do you guys want me to give you nightmares um, since you brought it up? Um, there is a disease that is being spread amongst deer in this country right now. It's reached 24 states and they are calling it a zombie disease. And my daughter came to me with a news story and was like, well, train to Busan's about to happen. I hope you're ready. <laughs> so <laughs> have fun with oh, those oh. Uh, nightmares. Zombie deer. Go ahead, Ben. Um uh, on, on the list of uh, foreshadowing roadkill, um, I'd add um, the uh, criminally underrated um, The Voices, starring Ryan, uh, starring Ryan Reynolds, um, uh, disturbing as fuck. Um, uh, the uh, reanimated, we don't know actually what the fuck it was, um, uh, uh, Roadkill from Splinter. Oh, okay. um, and those are those are both those are both uh, iterations that pretty directly support what um, uh, other Ben um, or I'm you know what I'm not going to go with other Ben I'm going to go with smarter Ben um, with what smarter Ben was saying um, uh, that uh, that these that these intrusions in addition to my um, oh fuck this is going to be you in about thirty to forty five minutes yeah. Um, 
that that these rep that these represent a reminder that there is a natural order um, uh, that is uh, totally indifferent to human will, um, and that um, maybe you're going to be on the receiving end of that pretty soon. Uh, in in the case of a uh, uh, in the case of um, uh, the voices. Um, the roadkill deer is a foreshadowing to our first on-screen kill, um, and it's replicated almost frame by frame. Um, in the case of Splinter, that is how we introduce the antagonistic agent, um, which uh, if you haven't seen Splinter, good God, what are you doing with your life? Um, uh, it's an absolutely fantastic movie, but that's where this um, uh, lost uh, natural agent uh, in in the plot that ul ultimately kills everybody in just absolutely unspeakably horrifying ways um, uh, is introduced is through the roadkill itself. It's a literal vehicle for the message of death. That's interesting. I mean, yeah, I obviously it's uh, it's it's a uh, it's foreshadowing of, of <laughs> bad not good things that are about to happen. But uh, it, I, it's been done with enough. I mean. You're right. Now that I'm thinking about it, even the films that I have seen, there's differences in sort of how the animal dies, what's going on at the beginning, um, what happens at the end and how that ties back. But I've noticed it's been used quite a bit. It's been used now in three horror movies we've talked about, which is interesting. Um, so the next one that it shows up in, I'm definitely going to point it out. If you guys think of any, anyone who's watching this, if you think of any other than the voices, uh, Splinter, I, I, Ben said The Ring too. The Ring I have Part not seen. 2. I have not seen that. Okay, so that's another one. Um, uh, the Invitation, uh, Get Out. If there's any more and you're watching this, comment below because I, I, for some reason, that's fascinating to me. That particular at, at least I three guess it's a of the Halloween movies. I don't remember which ones off the top hmm. of my head, but they've they've used that in a in a couple of the Halloween sequels. Um, okay. It's it's just it's a really well worn device. Hmm. Hereditary to some degree. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. We just did that. I didn't even think about yeah, that. There yeah, there you go. Yeah. I mean, cruelty Let's to put, animals. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ben. To 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 put uh, to put it this way, I've I've gotten in a relatively short time in the industry an obscene amount of use out of the deer carcass cannon. Oh God. Okay. Um, there is a deer carcass cannon. Let's uh, next time you're on, Ben. There, there is, up. there is a deer carcass cannon. Can we, can we shoot off a deer carcass during the next deadly analysis podcast? Um, yeah, I mean, I think cruelty to animals is sort of a, a hallmark of. Um, I mean, we were talking about this last week with the house that Jack built, or maybe a couple weeks ago with the house that Jack built about how uh, cruelty to animals is sort of represent representative of a. Um, cruelty to other people and uh, a even in in um psychology it's a precursor to sociopathic behavior in many cases and interestingly uh, enough that that is an observation that was foresaged by both William Shakespeare and Immanuel Kant both of whom made the observation that people who are cruel towards animals are cruel also towards towards human beings Okay, so we can all uh, admit that Bambi is actually a horror film, and the worst bad guy in Disney canon is the hunter. So, yeah, I think we're doing Bambi next week. Aren't we? Yeah, that is the next one. That's right. You're, you're no, you're totally right. Uh, that's really interesting. I, I, I someone on this, I may have been Ben, uh, Ben Caruth. Uh, 
Ben. God damn it. One of you, one of the fucking Bens. Jesus. I I can't do the other. I can't do smarter Ben, dumber Ben now because that's I can't. That's not going to work. So just one of the Bens. I think it was Ben. Chris, you know, in Busan, um, said something to the effect of at least in that movie, the deer at the beginning is is something like the film showing us it's not all about us, right? Like that that uh, that virus is is affecting more than just people. Like there's the natural orders being fucked up. It's easy to watch the movie and think humans humans capital h where the you know everything's about us and and this is zombie movie is making everything about but no there's this really intense moment at the very beginning of the film it's very quick where you see the the deer semi affected by um by whatever's going on and uh, you know it's interesting it's it's maybe not all about us uh, but i i just have seen enough of these these films now to be like this tropes kind of everywhere anyway I, I find it fascinating in a very odd strange way forgive me um but I'm starting to notice it more and more in some of these films. Did you guys have anything else you want to add before we close up shop? We got a lot of comments, more comments to get through than I could possibly imagine. By the way, um, all of the live chats for these podcasts, you can watch them if you go back and watch this video. So if you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher, um, check out the YouTube video because we're starting to get quite a bit of interaction with chat. And a lot of people are bringing up some good points and some good questions and, and stuff to talk about. In fact, they're having conversations amongst themselves. So. Uh, do that if you're if you're listening. But um, did you guys have anything else you want to add about the film before we close up shop? God, I'm ready to wrap up. <laughs> I guess that's well, a it, no. It it I'm it sorry, took was... us it it took <laughs> us to the very very end of this podcast, but we did resolve the too many bends problem. Uh, Shara uh, Shara figured it out, and this gets my endorsement. Uh, Garrett seems to be on. Uh, okay. I have endorsed this as well. I, I've come up with their names, and Noah, you have to call them this from now on. It's Silver Fox and PhD Daddy. Done. Done. I, I, I swear to God, in about 30 minutes, I'm going to update the website and put their nicknames on there. So thank you. Uh, awesome. All right. Uh, well, we've had some good commentary uh, from Shara and Garrett and Silver Fox and PhD Daddy. This is getting very strange. We're um, not allowed to get another gym. That's yeah. <laughs> there are no other gyms allowed. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'll I'll start I get to close up shop. You know, this was my film. Again, uh, Garrett, you missed kind of the intro, but I I was very hesitant doing this podcast just because I was really bothered when uh, I first did my like fucking 5 minute review and we got a little YouTube is a very interesting monster. We all know this. Most of us, we've done YouTube videos for years, right? It's it's a lot worse today than it was like back in 07 when we were kind of in the height of when we were all making videos. Um, but uh, you know, there's uh, people. <laughs> it's a lot. Of, there's a lot of racist shit still out there, apparently. And I think that one thing we can all agree on here is that this movie needed to be made, and it probably needed to be made earlier than it was. Um, it's a fucking fantastic horror film. Um, it is uh, by far, the, I think, the best horror film of 2017. Um, it's uh, It's got fantastic acting. It's written very well. Obviously, there's a couple sins, the tropey sins, where he goes up the stairs. But for the most part, if you, if you watch this movie, um, what Jordan Peele did really good to me is that he made the the little um the 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 things that are off in this movie ever so slight to where it's not like creep right so let's like distinguish it from creep right when we do tubby time that scene in creep 
we all agreed, right? Like most of us at that point, I asked you guys and we did creep at what point in creep would you have just bailed and you would have gotten out, so to speak. Um, and it was around like the first like five minutes with tubby time, right? Like it's very obvious a rational person would have left at that point. This film did it a little more intelligently where, you know, there's a little bit of a jab and you're, and, and I think Chris handles it with the kind of awkward, like I'm good, I'm good. And it's, it's, it's just a slow burn in that regard. It's not something so fucking obvious immediately that it warrants getting out. It's, it's, and I, I think in that, I think in that sense, the film is, is um, superior uh, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in that way than a, a lot of the other horror films that we've discussed. And I love Creep, for example. Um, so yeah, I, uh, there's, there's political stuff going on in this movie. There's racial stuff going on in this movie. Uh, Garrett, the, the scenario that you painted at the, at, at the beginning when you came in about, hey, there, you know, there are a bunch of white people, not a black person in here. I mentioned this in the last podcast, but I have a very close friend, someone that I actually am close enough to, to be able to say, hey, what did you think about this movie? Or to talk and, and to have that conversation and not be like, and not feel awkward having it, not feel like it, putting on display and, and, and any of that. But um, I wanted to have him on, but I, I wrestled with that exact issue where it's like, well, he's only gonna be on for that podcast. That's weird. Um, if we don't have him on, are we missing a perspective? And so, you know, the way I look at this is just knowing this and having that conversation and saying I'm a little perturbed by it and I, I'm not entirely sure what to do. I felt like that was important to say. That's the best I can offer. And thank God in heaven he was busy tonight because it made it really easy for me to just go, well, okay, all right. He, I, you know, if he would have texted me tonight and said, hey, I'm free, I wouldn't even have looked at my phone. I'd be like, oh, right. So uh, anyway, I, you know, I had a little bit of reservation doing this podcast just because um, it's, there's a lot of sensitive shit to navigate, but at the same time, and at the same time, when I did just do like a five minute thing of this film, we had some, we had, we had a, a person say some very racist shit. So uh I don't know. I this this movie needed to be made. It was great, just as a horror film without the racial stuff. I think we all agreed that if that stuff was removed, this would still be a very scary movie. Um, I'm very excited for the next sequences of horror films to come out from Jordan Peele. Um, I don't know. I, I'd probably rate this movie a, a, a four four out of five stars for me. Um, you know, the 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 fear factor portion doesn't have it, it. It doesn't have the thing that gets me. The thing that you know the 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 movies that make me the the most fearful are the ones that kind of kind of remind me of my finality. You know, so this this has something a little different, but I think also incredibly scary to a certain person who has a very different psychological apparatus than my own. Um, so overall, I give this movie like a four out of five stars, best horror film of twenty seventeen, and and I won't even go to Rotten Tomatoes or any of those sites on the day Us gets released, I will just go see Us. And there are very few films where I would say that. I was super impressed by this movie and um, it deserves all the accolades that it's been given. So uh, yeah, that's my thoughts. Anyone else want to go? Ben, why don't you go? Silver Fox, hop in there, Silver Fox. <laughs> the inaugural run of the new name, all right. <laughs> um, um... 
Wait, uh, I, got, I got to cut in here because you, you keep saying Silver Fox, yeah. and and there's there's a line in a Key and Peele sketch where where Jordan Peele refers to a white guy with silvery hair as Silver Fox. It's the Gremlins two sketch. It's a brilliant <laughs> sketch, and that's I think maybe the first time I ever heard anyone use the the name Silver Fox. So the fact that we we keep coming back to that, I, I just had to throw that in there. Oh my god! Oh my god! This is getting so meta so fast. This is unreal. Absolutely unreal. Um. Uh, okay. Uh, back back to this movie. Oh my god. Uh, yes. What'd you think of uh, Get Out then? <laughs> uh, I was just um, to set you up. <laughs> I I I loved it. Uh, I saw it opening night in the theater. Um, the second, uh, the first day it was available for digital download. I bought it. Uh, I watched it again. Uh, I watched the uh, the alternate ending. Um, I'm. Again, glad he went with the ending that he did, uh, but I'm glad that I saw the one that was his plan A as well. Um, I, just more, more of the same. Uh, and uh, uh, Garrett, thank you for putting for putting words around the. Um, this movie could have been made earlier. Um, I'm glad that it was made. It could have been made earlier. Um, and I'm I'm hoping that the next movie that could have been made earlier. Um, gets gets made maybe a little closer to when it's appropriate. Uh, with Noah, I'm absolutely um, uh, I'm I'm going to be in line for uh, us. Um, uh, not going to read any reviews. I'm just going to go see it um, because Jordan Peele is a fantastic filmmaker. Uh, he is a very skilled producer. His language play throughout the movie that's one of the things I loved about his comedy. I'm glad to see it. Uh, put to different use in uh, uh, in horror film, and um, it's a great movie, and and one of those movies where chances are, if you really really don't like it, it may be about you. What would you give it out of uh, five stars? Um. I would I would give it a a four point six repeating. <laughs> four and two thirds. Okay, I'll put that on the spreadsheet. Uh, does anyone want else want to go or should I? PhD Daddy, I think should be up next. I just love saying yeah. these. Shara, this was a great idea. What do you think, PhD Daddy? I'm gonna call you this after the fucking puck. Anyway, I think this was a terrible idea. I don't, I don't agree with this idea at all. <laughs> um, shit. All right, man. Yeah. Um, so difficult. Just overall, yeah. I, I, I honestly agree that this was a fantastic film. Um, there are some pieces out there that I think that I really enjoy just because of their artistic value. Um, like the last one we talked about, obviously it had its problems and definitely problems with the director, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to go on for two hours again, talking about the problems with the last film that we watched, but I think it was good as an artistic piece, but this, I think also has that except that in addition to that, it's, I think one of those rare pieces that are also like culturally important you know what i mean let's like important that this was made um and so that just adds an entirely other layer onto it um obviously just the way that it was made was fantastic it was quite subtle i think in the balance such everything that we've talked about so far 
um you know there are other elements that i enjoyed as well just the fact that the main one of the main antagonists was using psychology as a weapon i think was quite interesting and i enjoyed that just for personal reasons um and just yeah like i i think uh four out of five uh maybe 4.5 out of five really i think going back to our old scale of nine out of ten i think it really fits there with some of the best horror movies that we've seen and not just because that it not just because it speaks to what I would consider horror, but because I recognize that this is such a good movie that it can it can it can be that high of a quality of a horror film and really speak to the fears of people with many different perspectives, right? Like I mean you can just see that. Even if it's not a perspective that I personally hold, like it's good based on my perspective and it allows me introspection and it gives me something to really think about and has artistic value for me, but for other kinds of people as well. Whereas I don't think like a lot of horror films that we watch really have that right like a, a lot of them have maybe like one fear that they speak to but this kind of like has it's almost like janice right it's like it's looking in a few different directions at the exact same time um and that's the best way that i know how to describe that so yeah i mean just like there's so much good about this film there's really very little i i, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that wouldn't that i could count points off of for um so anyway yeah uh 4.5 out of 5 um highly recommended to anybody and everybody. I do think it is interesting because, uh, I mean, we spent so much time praising it and rightfully so that we haven't really talked to anybody anything critical. Um, so I, I, I'm also going to give it a, a four out of five, although I'm definitely tempted to go up to four and a half. But I can name a, a few things that I think actually do, you know, stop the film from being a five star film for me personally. And I, I think it's there's there is more than a few of the things. You know, yeah, going up the stairs. There's also villain monologuing. There's exposition that's sort of forced. Now, in defense of the film, I can't think of a better way to get that information across than the way they actually conveyed it in the film. And that it's crucial to get that information across. If you don't do that, then the film doesn't make any sense. So it's not like these are sort of, you know, obvious flaws with obvious solutions, but I did feel that they, you know, they, they, they sort of hit me in the face where it, it took me out of, okay, so this is the, where the movie villain explains his, his, his diabolical scheme. Um, and so there were, you know, some things like that, which I, you know, again, if it were possible to have figure out better ways of pulling that off, I would have preferred it. Um, but again, none of these are sort of major problems or major shortcomings. They, they, they tarnish an otherwise really start strong film. Uh, but you know, I, you save it here till the end because it really does kind of feel like nitpicking to, 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 to harp on that sort of stuff. Really curious for you go on. What's, what's your five, what is the Garrett five out of five movie? Horror movie or movie movie? Mm, let's say movie movie um most recent five out of five film i saw was silence uh, that that okay. to me is still just you know yeah. but other ones uh shawshank redemption um is, is another five out horror of five. Ho five out of five horror go uh i've seen to say because we're about to review the shining and that's a five out of five horror for me so <laughs> i'll give yeah. you a preview of what i'm gonna say yeah there. yeah yeah and now you don't need for anyone watching don't even show up at the podcast don't don't even worry about it don't even worry about it ah okay sorry i was just curious just curious. okay um okay i can go next uh shayra you can close um because you're always so good at closing anyway so uh i always like it when you close the podcast anyway so this is it'll be i'll, I'll take the penultimate um so i uh 
my initial rating for this film was, I think, 3.5 out of 5. Um, and I thought that what brought it down were some of the things that Garrett mentioned about the exposition and uh, villain monologuing and, and all of those things that, that, that you had mentioned. And I also thought that some of the horror tropes were kind of unnecessary. Like, I, I, I actually thought that the, uh, the jump scare violin uh, pull when uh, Betty, Grabiel, Betty Gabriel's character walks behind... Um, uh, Chris on his way out for a smoke. I thought that was was a little too much, um, and that was uh, so. So that was my initial uh, rating of the film. I kind of I had it in my top ten of the year on twenty seventeen, and before I proclaimed my my number ten, my my top ten of the year on uh, uh, for twenty seventeen, I decided to give Get Out a second look, and. Uh, Sure enough, I was wrong. It was it was much better on the second viewing, and it was much better than I remembered it. Um, this is one of the few times, almost always, I sort of confirm my original rating. In this case, I I had to bump it up to four point five out of five, and that's because um, the importance of the film really struck me, and uh, a lot of the things that we were mentioning earlier about how. Uh, this was a film that could have been, perhaps should have been made earlier. Um, those were things that really stuck with me and how this film was saying something truly important about, about our culture and, uh, and our racial relations that sort of goes beyond a rather simplistic, uh, shall I say it, Green Book-esque uh, don't be racist. Uh, don't get me started on how much I hate that movie. Um, and 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 so I think that Get Out kind of transcends the the genre and has kind of ushered in um, more films about race that take race incredibly seriously and with the complexity that um, such a uh, uh, foundational issue of our culture need to be taken with. It, it takes it with the the amount of seriousness that such a foundational uh, issue needs to be taken with. And for that reason, it sort of propelled it um, into the best film of the year, not just best horror film of the year, but the best film of the year for 2017 for me. And also um, not only the best film of the year, but also one of the more, most important films that were made in the last decade. Um, so as I look back on the uh, 2010s, um, this will be one of those films that stands out as a cultural and, and film achievement. Um, I still don't like some of the, uh, the, the tropes that get overused. I don't like the third act is a little, um, it, it sort of slips into cliche a little bit in the third act and in ways that I'm not particularly, that I don't particularly like, but it doesn't ruin the fact that overall, this is one of the best films, um, best American films made in the last 10 years. So uh, I, I love this film, 4.5 out of five stars. Are we ready? Sorry, <laughs> it like cut out on you really quick. It might be on my end, tech issues. Um, so there are two kinds of films that I love as subgenres of horror. Uh, there's the rape revenge films, like, 
like you know miss 45 and revenge are, are way up there for me those are very satisfying for me to watch uh based off of things in my background but also just it's satisfying to see someone come up on on something that has brought them down uh but the other one is the body snatcher trope that ones like every single movie with with the body snatching kind of a, a storyline is always way 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 up there for me and you guys know this about me that's why Noah's like oh this must have messed you up yeah <laughs> it did um but the the other aspect is um something i had said when we first started doing this show uh was about how horror and humor can go hand in hand because they have very similar uh styles to how you deliver things so you have to know timing you have to know your audience you have to there's there's a language and there's a way of doing it that can really hit it out of the park so i think because he had done so much stuff with comedy it really made him an expert at horror before he even really delved too much into that um so that that was awesome to see uh, kind of one of these ideas i've always had come to fruition in a film i was like okay yay <laughs> i i um think i'm onto something there um but uh as far as like you know i've been watching the 1001 films you're supposed to see before you die and one of the things i'm noticing is a lot of those films on the list are are things that break down barriers that that open up new things that create a fresh perspective and they'll also take elements of storytelling and things we've already known you know, obviously they're going to be copying somewhat. There's nothing really completely new out there. But when you take those familiar things and piece them together into something that really pushes boundaries and creates almost like a whole new thing, this movie did it not only for horror, but for Black people in movies and Black people in horror movies specifically. So much so that it inspired a documentary about Black horror to try to raise more awareness about it. Um, so it, it's it's breaking down barriers and it's going to create all different kinds of awesome things for films for the future people to see. So it's it's definitely an important film. Um, as far as the the music, the the um, random chanting that would happen at certain points, at those perfect points where it would just kind of haunt you and give you the goosebumps. You know, you got to have that music that gives you the goosebumps. Um, the the parts where you go, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe he did that, but it's totally obvious that you would do that. Yeah, you, you kind of expect things, but it still makes you react. So that means he hit it on the head perfectly. Um, and uh, it, it's it's one of those films where you see the metaphors, you see where things are going. Uh, but you like that it follows where you kind of thought it was going to go. And and there's there's something to say about that. When you write a film, even when you kind of hint at where we're going, it makes people feel like, okay, now I'm on board. I get what's happening here. Now let's take me for that ride. Take me for that ride and do it right. And he did it right. This hits all the notes that I ever need in a film all across the board. So I know you know what I'm going to be giving it. It's five out of five for me. It hits all those special little sweet spots for Shayra. So uh, I even made edible props for for the review for it. I mean, that's the dedication that I have behind this film. Uh, it's fantastic. I can't wait to see us. I man, I, we might even end up calling each other after we watch it on that night. I'll be like, oh my gosh. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it'll all definitely be in line for that one. And uh, I'm excited to see where this is going. I'm excited to see the humorous jokes that'll pop up randomly in the horror because I feel like those are the really nice little elements I need to relax before I, you know the tension builds up again. And that's 
oh, that's the other thing I was going to say about comedy does that, right? That's what comedy is. You're building tension, building tension, building tension, release. And then it's building tension, building tension. It's the same exact dance. And he freaking nails it with horror too. So um, fantastic film. Love it, love it, love it. I've watched it a bajillion times and uh, I'll probably watch it a bajillion more. I'm getting Luna to watch it. I'm going to hold her to it because she says she's going to watch it tonight. I'm going to be messaging her and see how she, because she hasn't seen it yet. So um, I would like to hear her viewpoints on it. But yeah, this is, this is one of those ones, guys. You found one for me. So Woo-hoo. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, there, yeah, we've done some, there's been some horror films that have like, I, I haven't heard of during this podcast, or I shouldn't say that I haven't heard of that I haven't seen. So actually some I haven't heard of, uh, but some that I haven't seen that I've watched and just it's, it's changed my perspective on particular things. So I'm, that's one of the reasons I'm glad we, we started this podcast. So you, who would think that horror films can be that informative? You know what I mean? I think Get Out's a perfect example of just how informative and powerful uh, the horror genre can be. Um, and I hope that like tonight, our conversation of Get Out has given it the appropriate level of complexity, the respect that it deserves. I mean, there is so much stuff we could talk about with this, political stuff, racial stuff, class stuff. I mean, horror movie stuff, film stuff, sound stuff. I mean, it just goes on and on, right? In two hours, I hope that we've given it the appropriate treatment it deserves as best as we can. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think I agree with everyone else on this panel that this is one of those movies that we're going to look back on as being a very big game changer in the genre. And it's cool to do a review of that kind of at the time it, it's come out. You know what I mean? It's like doing a podcast on Rosemary's Baby 25 years ago when there wasn't pot. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm glad we're doing it around the time it came out, even though it took me two years. Uh, so uh, next week we are doing... Uh, American Psycho. Now we're actually, we have reservations at Dorcia. We're going to do it there. Um, but I have a sneaking suspicion we're not going to make it. I just, I don't know why I don't think we're going to make it to Dorcia. It's a joke in case you haven't seen American Psycho. God, I'm bad at these things. I am not like Jordan Peele. I am not a comedian. So, um, yeah. Uh, so join us next week. Um, we, uh, we'll be doing American Psycho. By the way, we're doing it on Saturday night. So we're, yeah, we're not waiting two weeks. Uh, this is literally next Saturday uh, night, not Sunday. So we're switching it up. Uh, we'll be doing American Psycho. And both Bens will be there, but we will be calling one Huey Lewis and we'll be calling the other one the news. So uh, it will be a very interesting evening. So join us. Uh, check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, if you like what you saw, leave a comment. Uh, and get me get back to me with more of those tropes, those deer tropes. Someone mentioned uh, the, the witch and some other ones, too, that we've been talking about. Keep them coming. I don't know why. That's a fascination of mine. I'm strange. All right, whatever. Just, just keep posting. Uh, we will see you guys on Saturday for American Psycho. Thanks for watching, and have a good night.